Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. Carly R. And Eric V. Today we're joined by our very special local... Local? Local guest. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know you did five minutes ago. I know. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing today, man? Uh, well, good to be here. Yeah, man. So where are you from, Aaron? Well, I'm originally from York, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So it's about an hour north from where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised. Yeah. Nice. Great. So, Happy to be in Maryland, though. Tell you what, it changed my life. Hell yeah. When were you first introduced to recovery? Man, recovery. I think it was. Uh, it was either 2007 or 2008. I remember it was like Halloween season when I went to my first treatment center because they had like pumpkins and stuff. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> right around the fall time. Okay, now I'm um, now we can gauge how high you were at the time. So okay, that's good. And <laughs> how, how long have you been clean? I've been clean uh, 30 months and some some days. Yeah. My clean date is February 18th, 2018. Nice. Well, congratulations, man. And with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So pitter-patter, let's get at her. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Great intro. Thanks, guys, for having me. Absolutely. I mean, doing something for my recovery is, you know, super important, whether that's going to a meeting uh, whether that's working on step work or reaching out to someone in my network. Um, because, you know, for me, recovery has to come first. It's my number one priority. And I don't always put it up front. And I would be very honest. Lately, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of been on the back burner. And I feel it. You yeah. know, I feel it when I'm not involved. And it makes... It makes my life dealing with myself and the people around me much more difficult uh, because just like the, just for today, I think it was today that I read in the NA literature that, uh, you know, when we're doing good, we tend to treat people good or when we're feeling good about ourselves, we treat the people around us well. And when we're not feeling good about ourselves, we tend to treat the people around us that poorly. And so, uh, you know, I definitely noticed that over the past couple of months, like both, you know, mm-hmm. both of those um, polar opposites, whether it's like um, I'm not involved or I'm feeling isolated, mm-hmm. whether that's because I can't get to a meeting in person. And, uh, you know, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of isolated everyone. Oh, you yeah. know? Um, and so that, you know, that that's exactly where the disease wants me today, mm-hmm. you know, because then it can have its way with me uh, when it's just me and the disease and then staying in isolation. That really sounds horrible. The, de- the disease is just <laughs> having its way with me. It's like, are you getting assaulted? dude? <laughs> listen, I'm telling you, do we need to yeah, call somebody? It feels like, Hey, listen, sometimes the disease of addiction does feel like it's like assaulting me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And like just taking over, you know, Um, and it's up to me, my higher power and those, those around me that I choose to like trust 
and lean on in this program or in this in my recovery to help me get out of my way of thinking mm-hmm. get, uh, get the disease out of the way and help me see something from a different perspective we can't spot self-deception so um if i'm around people that can pull me up on the things that are going on in my life that may not be conducive to recovery mm-hmm. then I, I can get a different perspective and maybe i can gain some insight to help me learn something new about myself or a behavior that i need to change so mm-hmm. so lately recovery has been really um sporadic i guess you could say for me yeah uh, i just started getting back to in-person meetings which i i love it and uh, i shared a little bit at the meeting and it's funny that i saw you david last night at the meeting because you know i haven't seen you in months and yeah. here i'm doing the podcast the next day and mm-hmm. i run into you at the meeting last night so it's god's will cool. bro um yeah i'm telling you man it was it was cool uh it definitely helped me feel more comfortable walking into this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, man, I, but the, uh, the sporadicness of, uh, of my recovery lately, you know, getting back to in-person meetings has been super helpful. Uh, I guess, um, when I moved down, so I'm from York, PA, as I, as I said, and, mm-hmm. I'll just, let me just start from square one and then I'll get to where I'm at today. How's that? How's Perfect. That sound? <laughs> All right. So yeah, I was born and raised in York, Pennsylvania. Uh, York is an interesting town and I'll tell you why, because I 83 runs right through York and route 30. Well, and as you know, I 83 also comes down to Baltimore. So, mm-hmm. um, the drugs come up from Baltimore. Um, to into York and also Route 30 runs and intersects in, to York as well, which takes you to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's like a drug hub, York, Pennsylvania, and um, yeah, like. But I, I grew up well off. Like you know, I didn't really have. Um, I, I grew up in a, a good family, I guess you could say. Like, I, I never needed for anything, you know. Um, physical, my physical needs were taken care of. Um, my mental and emotional needs were, were taken care of uh, growing up. Um, and I just, like, I, I experimented with alcohol at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, 11 or 12. And then... What was your first drink? There. It was... Uh, what was my first thing? I want to say it was uh, like a Captain and Coke. And wow, you know, um, at age eleven, <laughs> man, you were going hard in yeah, the paint. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I it wasn't beer because like it wasn't accessible. I guess I guess it was accessible, but I knew that if I drank one of my dad's beers, he would know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I never see my my parents growing up drinking liquor, so they had a liquor cabinet that was eventually later on as my disease progressed, they had to lock it up, you know, but yeah. at, in the beginning it was wide open and it was way easier to take a little shot of this here and there, you know, maybe water it down a little bit mm-hmm. in the bottle so they couldn't tell anything was missing rather than taking a beer when there's only maybe 
totally. sticks or like a 12 pack in the fridge. Yeah. So, real, wait, yeah, real, real quick. Was, Eric, what was sure. your first drink? Ah, uh, it's like, it was some Russian sounding vodka and I'm pretty sure Natty Light. Oh, gross. What was yours? Ooh. I have no idea. <laughs> Mine was totally probably, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Right. Total, total it was probably some drink. Sme- like fruity Smirnoff flavor. Yeah, that yeah, it's Mike's Hard Lemonade. Are you proud of that? No, not okay. at all. I'm just making sure. No, 100% I am full of shame right now. <laughs> anyway, back you should to, be. Back to you, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good stuff. Um, I'm thirsty now. Oh, no, God. I'm kidding. No. Um, <laughs> we triggered him, no, Eric. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, um, so alcohol to weed mm-hmm. to anything under the sun that would change the way I felt about myself because I did say earlier that my mental and emotional needs were met as a child. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that was a bit of a tale because there was something going on with me mentally, maybe emotionally that made me feel different. And I think a lot of it, I I dug to the root of it a a long time ago. Um, And I think that it was that I was comparing myself to my brother who was a straight A student, you know, Mm. he he graduated high school and went on to become a helicopter pilot. Then he went to the Naval Academy and graduated with honors there and was an officer in the Coast Guard and he's still in the Coast Guard and he's, I don't even know his rank now. I think he's a lieutenant. Uh, I don't know exactly, but he mm-hmm. he does good for himself, you know, and he also went to college at the University of Pittsburgh. And, and here is, you know, Aaron, the 18-month-old young younger brother who um, doesn't have anything going on for himself, doesn't have any idea what he wants to do uh, when he grows up. Uh, I just like to smoke weed. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. um, and run around the neighborhood and chase girls and you name it. So, um, you know, that, that emotional disconnect, I guess it developed over time. And I found myself, uh, you know, changing the reason that I picked up the drink in the first place. Like at first it was just because I was young and I was curious, you know, mm-hmm. and then, I found a reason to drink and, and a reason to smoke weed. And and it just, as I kept digging myself a deeper hole, my brother kept accelerating his life, doing things that were like beyond my belief and beyond what I thought my ability to, um, you know, uh, just do well in life or capable, like, I didn't think I was capable of anything remotely mm-hmm. near what he was doing. So I was just like, you know, let me just drown this, this all out. This is a bunch of noise. It's giving me a headache and I don't want to deal with it. So yeah. so yeah, man. And I think, um, I've come to learn that I'm not my brother any, you know, I'm not my brother. I don't have to live up to, um, how he lives and I'm proud of him and I love him, you know? And so I've been able to deal with that, but that was really like, a big issue for me early on and mm. yeah so we're i don't know I, the drugs you know they all they all bring us to our knees they they uh you know they they sh- like for me the drugs kind of like shot me out you know um 
I mean, you might be able to hear it in, in the way I'm talking, you know? <laughs> I try to, I like, you know, I try to, like, sound or try to talk about some things. And, like, I just get, I just draw a blank sometimes, man. And I think that... We're all crispy. It's I think cool. it's also because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm caught in this loop right now with going to work and coming home. And I just say the same things at work to the customers on the phone and, like... Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, I, I, my job right now has got me in a place that I don't like to be. And I think it's because I don't like to feel like someone else is taking over my thoughts. Like I, I feel like my job is so busy where I work that I don't have the ability to think for myself very much because as soon as I try to have a thought to myself or a knock at the door and, you know, I'm getting, talk more about that later but uh leading up to where i am now um what happened was um i went to about four or five maybe six rehabs until mm-hmm. i was like finally realized i needed to do something like i, I all right i actually have a problem because the first couple times i went to rehab i you know i thought well this is not really i'm not really an addict you know i just like to I like to use heroin. <laughs> I like to, <laughs> you know, I just, it's just a thing. I, I, it's a hobby, right? Like I justify and rationalize it. Anyway, Dude, that's that I a fucked up it hobby. Make me feel okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And it took me down some, down some dark places, including one thing that, uh, you know, I guess towards the end of my road, when I was like going the hardest and I wanted to change the most, it was, it was like 20, 2016, 2017. So mm-hmm. in, in April of 2016, you know, I, I had a fatal overdose that mm. like scared the life, literally scared the life out of me, scared the li- life out of my family. I um, was found in my parents' bathroom butt naked. <laughs> um, blue and the, blue, I know it sounds funny, but it's you know it gets serious i my lips were blue i wasn't breathing um i had taken the narcan that my mom had in the medicine cabinet i had taken it with me to go cop the drugs and i put it on my passenger seat in my car because i was like you know i'm i'm gonna get high i know you know i think at that point that particular day i hadn't used for like a week or something i just knew my tolerance uh, was down there, there had to be some reason that i took like the narcan with me you know mm-hmm. what i mean i can't quite remember what it was but i was like all right i know i can't like hit myself with narcan but at least if it's on my seat if someone finds me maybe they can mm-hmm. like that was my sick thinking yeah and so so um i left in the car and i went in the house when i got the drugs and got home and um I remember like doing a couple shots throughout the night and I did one around 11 o'clock and I went into the bathroom and I sat on the toilet and I fell asleep. Like, that's what I thought. I was, I was too, I thought I was so tired. I was just like going to fall asleep. Well, here, unbeknownst to me at that time, you know, I was actually overdosing. Mm -hmm. And so it was very peaceful. I thought I was just like, you know, falling asleep on the toilet. (laughs) Like who does that? Right. But But, um, I was okay. Yeah, butt naked, like, you know, <laughs> crazy. Just, I mean, 
Hopefully you don't get any like picture, you know, bad images in your head. I am like, totally visualizing a hundred percent of this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I apologize for that, but you know, this oh no, it's a glorious picture, buddy. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> I appreciate that, Dave. I mean, I'm flattered. That song for you is very flattering. You know, this got really uh, weird really quick. Yeah, it did. <laughs> It certainly did. It certainly did. Okay, you know, so it's peaceful. Um, you're falling asleep butt naked on the toilet. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> if I can. I'm, I'm, it's getting hot and heavy over here. I don't know. Damon has that effect <laughs> on people. So, yeah, I can tell. I can tell. But anyways, um, this is good content right now. Oh, this is um, gold. So, yeah. So, like, I'm asleep on the toilet at this time, you know. Uh, my breathing must have been super shallow. So yeah. Next thing I re- next thing I remember is that I'm waking up on the bathroom floor, butt naked, and like I was confused. Right? Yeah. There was I don't know. I want to say there was at least three paramedics in the in the small bathroom with hovering over me. My mom in the bathroom as well. And then in the hallway, there was like two police officers and my dad. So, like, you know, I was I was shocked. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I just remember like coming to, and one of the paramedics like said, "Here it comes." And next thing you know, it was like projectile vomiting everywhere. All and and Jesus, you know, hanging my head over the toilet. And uh, when I not even like what felt like two or three minutes after that, the, the cops were already asking, where is the rest of the drugs? Where is the rest of the drugs? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, I yeah. just, in I my vein, you idiot. Know what's going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> in my vein. Yeah. Not, yeah. I did have like two, two or three bags left over somewhere. They ended up finding them. Uh, on their own in my bedroom. But I, okay, so at this point, I'm like, I'm coming to, and I already been plugged in Narcotics Anonymous by that point in time. So mm-hmm. I had people that I, I could call. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and thank God I didn't have to. Um, you know, my mom and my now ex wife at that point in time, well, my mom notified my, my wife at the time, and, uh, she notified some people that were in my network and mm-hmm. uh, they got me to the hospital and I'm in the hospital and some people from the, you know, my recovery network showed up, which is really super encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I think that carried me through the rest of the night. Like there is still hope, you know, there's still hope. I almost died. I didn't die. I'm still here. And there's hope waiting for me on the other side of this wall. Was it guys and, from uh, Northwest? Uh, no, they were from York. Oh, okay. so this happened in York. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not to that part in my journey yet. Um now um moving on from there, I do remember, you know, I was in the hospital bed, like trying like sobering up essentially. Mm-hmm. They the nurse kept coming in and how are you feeling? Checking my vitals, basically. Uh trying to get me to drink water, flush flush my system you know but i wasn't in that hospital room for two hours before they told me like all right it's time for you to go and i was like what like 
I feel like the drugs creeping back in. Because I don't know if you know this, but when you get hit with Narcan, you know, it kicks the opiates off of your receptors in your brain. But once the Narcan wears off, those opiate those opioids can still come back and bind to the receptors receptors again. So you can feel high even after you got Narcan. So really? that started happening to me and I'm like, yeah. And that I was like, Well, you're sending me home, but I'm like, I'm starting to get high again, you know? Like it's just it was it blew my mind that mm-hmm. they were in that much of a hurry to get me out of there. Yeah. So that was uh that was a really pivotal experience in my life. Um, and actually I, I wrote a song about it that I recorded and it's on YouTube. I can certainly share that link with you guys. Yeah. Um, another time. But if anyone who's listening wants to check it out, I do have a YouTube page. If you don't mind if I plug that to you. No. Okay. So it's youtube.com slash a live recovery. Just it's, uh, yeah, A live <laughs> recovery, um, and uh, yeah, the song is called "Never Forget." So, if you mm. want to hear about that experience, it's a very, it's a very powerful song. Uh, just my account of what happened that night, um, written into uh, music. So, um, it's a very pivotal uh, point in my life. And at this point, uh, you did ask about Northwest, so. Uh, getting to that period of my life. At this point in time, I had some experience in and out of Narcotics Anonymous, and I had met some people from the Northwest area mm-hmm. through another guy in Alcoholics Anonymous at the time, which, by the way, I should probably touch on that real quick because, um, you know, I had an experience in the other fellowship that I was in, AA, where I had a sponsor. He was like a, he was an older gentleman, 70s 80s and like i was in and out you know and and my mom i I remember my mom telling me the one day like if you get high tonight you're not coming home to to sleep right so Mm -hmm. i was like all right well i'm high so i know you're gonna know when i get home so she was like well you can't go home so at that point in time i had i didn't have very many options i just knew a couple people in the program i had a sponsor Mm -hmm. and i called him and he was like, yeah, you can come crash in my place. Uh, so I got there and he was like, yeah, don't mind this room over here. There's blood stains on the carpet. Cause one of my sponsees just overdosed and died here last week. And I was like, Oh, Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, that's fine. Where can I sleep? You know, he's like, you can sleep on the couch. So I got comfortable on the couch and, he decided to like try to get comfortable with me on the couch. And I was like, all right, that's weird. But I didn't really think too much of it. Cause I was like, you know, he's probably just trying to comfort me, make, make me feel like I'm not alone, you know? Uh, uh, Cause I was pretty down and vulnerable that night. As the night presses on, like he tries to like touch me inappropriately. And I, uh, like I flipped out. I was like, what the hell, like, what the hell are you doing? So, yeah. um, that turned me off to narcotics anonymous. Um, or not narcotics, I'm sorry, alcoholics anonymous. Um, because of that experience that mm-hmm. I had and, um, it really fucked me up. So, so at this point in time, I had met somebody else in alcoholics anonymous that introduced me to somebody in narcotics anonymous. 
uh, Northwest area. Mm-hmm. And I was recording his music at the time. He was coming up to York, Pennsylvania, and recording in my studio. And is that Brian? He kept telling, he had, that was yeah. Okay. He was telling me for a while, like, "Hey, come down, like, come to Narcotics Anonymous," because yeah, I was struggling, man. Like, you know, I would record Brian one day, and I would be like, "Yeah, I've got two days clean," you know, and be like, "Awesome," and then. The next session he'd come and I would have two weeks clean and then he would come the next time and I'd be high, you know, and then mm-hmm. and he would just be, he, he's like, just come down to this meeting in Shrewsbury. I'm telling you, there's a bunch of other guys your age. You're going to find, you're going to find what you need. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, yeah, this is clearly not working for me. So let me come down and check it out. And I did. I ended up making it my home group for, Another at least two years. I want to say two or three years. Mm-hmm. In and out, white key tags galore. Uh, I mean, I have, I had such trouble like following direction because I, I believe it's true what they say. Like it's a tra- it's attraction over promotion, and um, you know, I it took me a while to find that it to get that attraction that I needed to motivate me to change my life. Cause everyone was like breathing. I felt like everyone was breathing down my neck telling me this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like narcotics anonymous saved my life and just do what I do. And you're going to be okay. And mm-hmm. I couldn't buy into that shit. I yeah. had to see somebody else come out of that. I had to see someone else's life change. Because when I got there, all these other people like seemed pure to me. I was like, okay, I get it. It works for them. It's not Mm. gonna work for me though, you know. Yeah. I had to see someone else like experience, have go through the same thing I was going through, come out of it, see their life change, and eventually, after coming around for so long, I saw that and inspired me to do the same thing. And um, so I had periods of abstinence. I. uh, this at this point we're talking around like 20 like spring 2017 i had about after the overdose i think i had i got like nine months or so clean um and then i went out to oregon state for my brother's wedding which i was djing and um when we first got to when we touched down at the airport uh the rental car that we were supposed to have was not available so we had to get this other car because uh, we rented from a private owner. It was uh, oh. like the Airbnb of, of rental cars. Yeah. You know? So he was like, yeah, this this Jeep that I was going to uh, rent to you guys, like I wrecked it this week. So I have this like 1994 Dodge Grand Caravan. <laughs> 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 I'm like, okay, for sure. Uh, so we just need to, we just need to get to my brother's house from the airport. It's like two hours. Sure, mm-hmm. we'll just take this car. So we did that, and we got down the road probably half an hour, and the car starts, like, smoking, you know. <laughs> it still had, like, temporary tags on, so we think that the guy just, like, bought it to, like, rent to us for the for the week, and then he was going to, like, pay it off with the rental that we paid him, <laughs> the rent money that we paid him. Sounds so, about right. So we, yeah. So we ended up, like, pulling into a gas station and the brake when we pulled into the 
to the parking lot, the, we we found out that the brakes didn't work. So the, the engine's smoking, the brakes aren't working, and we slam into like the the parking space stopper. <laughs> and we're like, all right, well, we stopped, so that's good. We didn't run through like the the, pump. the, the glass wall at McDonald's or you know yeah. whatever. So. So we're in McDonald's and we're like calling this Airbnb of rental cars. Like we, we need our money back. We need a car. And I'm like, all right, well, since we're out in Oregon, I know they have like legal pot out here. So while my parents are dealing with that shit, I'm on Google, like trying to find the nearest like Airbnb, (laughs) which was two blocks away. So I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to go, I'm going to go walk this off. Like you guys figure it out. You know, I went and bought some edibles, and I took them every day that I was out there for my brother's wedding. Nice. So, like, the very last day, I had a little bit left, and I knew I couldn't fly at home, and I just looked at it in my hand, and I was like, I was, after having nine months clean off of heroin, and then using, like, edible marijuana for, I don't know. uh, (laughs) Just for the fuck of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I was using it for five days, and I'll tell you what, like, I was back at that um, desperation, like, that I felt when I was trying to get off heroin. I just felt dead, like, spiritually. Yeah. And so I threw threw the rest of it in the ocean. I was like, I got to go home. And within two weeks from getting home from Oregon, I was shooting dope again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I need to go to rehab. I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to die if I don't do something. <laughs> and so that's when I went to my last rehab. That was fall 2017. So I used for another couple months after my brother's wedding yeah. in the spring. Fall 2017, I went into a 30-day treatment center. And, uh, dude, this is, this is, uh, it was a mess. Like it was a great treatment center, but the plumbing stopped working. So halfway into my uh, stay there, there was no flushing toilets, no running water. They had Jesus. to take us to the Motel 6 <laughs> in, the, in York City oh, for, for like two nights where they were like selling crack and prostitutes were selling themselves in the hotel. And it was just wild. So I ended up completing the program miraculously yeah (laughs) and and I it was like I kept calling like going and talking to my counselor and trying to call Brian Mm -hmm. and Brian's like yeah like you can come you can move down here to Westminster and I was like perfect like I get out in like three days make sure you answer your phone call and and when it was time to do like the discharge papers like it wasn't wasn't picking up, but couldn't get a hold of him. So they were like, look, we're going to take you to this uh, recovery house. I was like, all right, sure. I got to the recovery house. It was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in, in the city, where, again, I was surrounded by drug dealers and prostitution. So I was like, I was there for like two or three hours, super uncomfortable. Like, and I was like, God, I'm going to just blow up Brian's phone until he picks up. Well, eventually he picked up. The house manager came back and I was like, look, dude, I'm out of here. Like, I'm, I'm, my parents are coming to pick me up and I'm moving out of the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and that's what I did. I went, went to my parents' house, got everything that I needed. 
went down to Brian's house. Uh, they welcomed me back. Um, cause I forgot to mention it. My story is just like so detailed, but before I even moved <laughs> there back to Westminster and I say back to Westminster cause before the treatment center, Brian, I, I told Brian like, all right, I'm at it. I just did like three days detox at home. I'm ready to move down. And like, I went down there, but I took heroin with me and I like used after being moved into, moved all my shit into, into this bedroom in his house. And then I got high and he was like, dude, what's, what's up with you, bro? I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? What's up with me? Like I just detox for three days. That's why I feel and look like shit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, no, you're going to piss in a cup right now. And I was like, okay. So I pissed in a cup and he's like, dude, you, you can't be here if you're going to use. And I was like, all right, well give me my $50 back. You know, that I gave him for like, deposit security deposit to rent a room in his house mm-hmm. and i went and took that 50 dollars. i drove back to york and i got hot mm. and that's when i went to treatment and then so i came back to brian and i stayed clean for um i think it was it was september through february it was like february 17th mm-hmm I had still been in the process of moving stuff down from my parents' house, and I found, like, uh, like I found a dirty cotton ball in one of the items that I moved down to Brian's house. And I was like, well, I'm just going to put water on it and, like, sniff the water. So I, I did that, and I got high on February 17th, 2018. And the next morning, I got honest with Brian, and I was like, look, dude, I used last night. It was... Like, I didn't plan it out. I, I found this, and I got honest, and that's where my journey started mm. that I'm on right now. So, um, two and a half years clean later, I keep in mind, guys, I was married through all that. Yeah. Went through. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. And like, you, you, like, sprinkled that in right in the middle, and Carly and I just looked at each other like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> Someone yeah. did wife, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I moved down to Maryland, I knew like, like I have to let this girl go. Like, you know. Now, now was she um, is was she an I, addict as well? No, she uh. was not. But she enabled me to use. Like, she enabled me. I, of course, I'm not blaming her, or pointing the finger. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, she was not an addict. Um, she stayed with me for six years. Mm. while I used and just just created a shit storm in our lives, you know? And I was like, look, it's it's in her best interest for me to just wash my hands clean and let her go find a new sense of purpose in her life. So I did that. Mm. Um, But it was super hard. Yeah. Like, I wanted wanted to do it, but I didn't know how to because, you know, in early recovery, I'm, I'm trying to find myself and, like, the last thing I'm want to do is like think about somebody else you know um i need to like i need to get better so um and i was still in that self-seeking mentality you know just because i'm clean doesn't mean that i'm uh like don't have all these other issues you know Mm -hmm. so i'm still being very selfish and i'm like focusing on my recovery and how i can build a better life for myself meanwhile like I'm stringing her along for the ride of 
even more destruction to our marriage. Yeah. Even though I'm clean, I'm I'm out there and I'm like sleeping with girls and I ended up getting mm. getting one pregnant, right? Mm. My daughter is seventeen months old this month. Um, so I got this girl pregnant in my first year of recovery and man, it was the result of a two night stand. And when she told me that she was pregnant, I said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but like, we're not going to be together. And, uh, so if like, if you want to have this, this child, then just keep that in mind, you know, like, and so she decided that she wanted to. Uh, you know, carry our child, and mm-hmm. I supported her through it. And during that uncertainty, because to be honest with you guys, I wasn't sure if it was really even my child, you know, but Ooh. I was told to act as if, because if I go through the pregnancy and I'm like, there's no way that's my child, and then I get a uh, paternity test and I find out it's mine, and then what kind of scumbag I am I then? So yeah. I'm so glad listen to the people in my life that were just like, you know, just act as if. So I did that and I showed up to the doctor's appointment and I was there for my daughter's birth, not knowing, you know, and then I got a paternity test and I've been in my daughter's life since day one, you mm-hmm. know, and I talked about it a little last night at, at a meeting, like it took a year, um, but I had, in 50-50 custody of my, my daughter and you know my baby's mama trusts me you know mm-hmm. to raise our child when when I'm not when she's not there and like I trust her to do the same so um, there's a lot of uncomfortability with that still so in the meantime I know this sounds sick and it, it probably is but I'm going through a divorce I got another girl pregnant and then told her I wasn't going to be with her and that and that was I got her pregnant like this time of year. Mm-hmm. So then I met a girl in November of 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2018. Yes. And on New Year's of 28, New Year's Eve of 2018, I was like, man, I really love this girl. Like, how am I going to tell her that she already knows I'm going through a divorce? how am I going to tell her I have a kid on the way? Like we've already been dating for two solid months now. Like she's amazing. I see a future with her. Mm-hmm. Like, so let me, let me go into the new year without, uh, harboring any like secrets. So I told her and like, she supported me Wow. Um, through it all. Yeah. I mean, and she's not in recovery either. You met her last night. Yeah. Uh, Alina. She's an amazing woman. I love her to death. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, there's just been a lot of crazy shit. Like, uh, I would say I so. A very detailed. <laughs> yeah, I went into a very detailed story. Um, the purpose of that was to like just reflect and see where I've come from and see how I'm living now. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk talk about just a couple other things and then get into where my recovery is today. Um, when, like at the end of my road, I found out that like I was diagnosed with like Hep C and. Uh, I thought that was it. Like, I thought, you know, all right, I really did it now. Like, this is what I want to die from. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, after, like, showing up to the doctor's appointments to get treated, 
I think it took like two years to get treated for because it, it like going in and out of being clean and being in recovery uh, and then going to use again. Uh, the doctor like wouldn't give me the treatment. I couldn't get approved by insurance. You have to be clean a certain amount of time. But the yeah. last appointment I went to, I had somebody in the program with me that vouched for my clean time and they submitted to the insurance. And I finally, after two years of chasing this uh, gastroenterologist, they approved me for the medication. Like I don't have hep C, it's not detectable anymore. Um, so that was like a huge, a huge thing, like a yeah. huge milestone. Because mm -hmm. it showed me that if I stop using, I, I can live a better life. I, I can find a new way to live and just, you know, um, put the past to rest. Yeah. So I got I got into like this serious car accident um, my first year uh, where I had to go to the hospital and they tried offer me painkillers and I took I took um, instead of that I, I took uh, what is it like anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. and like ibuprofen I, and I went to physical uh, yeah it's not, I don't know exactly what it was I don't think it was that but mm -hmm. it was along those lines yeah um, and, that, and then I took like um, physical therapy for six months and mm -hmm. I fixed my injury um, I just like my life is so much different today and um, really like moving down to this the west side how I got here now is like through my girlfriend um, mm -hmm. it was it was time for me to move out of Bryant I was there for two years and I got what I needed there um, I'm grateful for him and his him and his wife like they helped me change my life and they showed me how to live and they taught me so much about uh just doing the next right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, Brian, he, I still consider him my best friend, but we don't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard. And um, it's really hard for me. I feel like it's something I need to address in my step work. Um, so as I said in the beginning of the podcast, I've been very complacent uh, recently and I haven't been calling my sponsor who's also in the Northwest area. And so I decided after this pan since this pandemic who's your sponsor uh, had like well my sponsor right now is chris w oh okay shelby and chris i'm sure yeah yeah i think he was on his podcast yeah he yeah. was yeah. yeah i know chris he's yeah, awesome he's chris w yeah man and so i got a new home group when i moved down the west side of course the the pandemic stopped us from being able to meet in person. They mm -hmm. still haven't opened up. So I decided last Monday, all right, like it's time to get a, a new home group. So I joined the Ellicott City group on Monday night. And um, unfortunately, you know, I don't really talk to Chris. Mm. And like I kind of lost touch during this pandemic and he's a great guy. Um, I just need somebody that I can see. Yeah. You know, and I, I, like that's just my story man I know I've heard so many people in this process that like have long distance sponsorship sponsee relationships and like that's just I just can't do that um I've always needed to be in close proximity to somebody that uh, is sponsoring me so mm -hmm. that I can see them know that what 
like so I can see them living what they're saying. Yeah. For me, that's that's important. And so um, Chris helped helped me a lot because before Chris, I had another sponsor who was like sponsoring nine guys in my area, and he dropped us all and left Narcotics Anonymous out of the blue. It was mm. very abrupt, and he kind of left us all like and like not knowing what to do with our recovery. So Chris was more like a transitional sponsor until I could get to a place where I could find that connection with someone. And so mm -hmm. I finally found that connection with someone and I asked them to uh, sponsor me on Friday night. And he said, just call Chris, talk to Chris about it. And uh, they call him back and we'll move forward. And uh, so that's my plan. You know, I'm starting to take action again in my process because I found that uh, the complacency and the isolation that I've experienced through the pandemic put me in a place of desperation where it's like the thoughts of using had come, come and gone before mm -hmm. the pandemic. Like, but the thoughts of using now sound a little bit better. They, they sound better every time I think about it, you know? Um, and that scares me. Yeah. Uh, and I see different ways that I'm acting out that, in fact, my girlfriend pointed it out to me. She's like, you know, you're not the guy I met when we first got together. Uh, you're not working on yourself anymore. You're just, mm. You're raising your daughter, which is great. Like, but the, the thing of it is about that, like, I've been here for my daughter because, like I said, I got fifty-fifty custody of my daughter in March, right when the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm spending all this time focusing on her and not focusing on me. Mm -hmm. But my daughter needs me long term, so I need to invest in myself so that she can have that. So, yeah, yeah, man. Um, that's pretty much all I got. I mean, I, I feel like I really just unloaded and just. Yeah, Good. I it was uh, educational for you guys or informative. It um, was. I've learned so much about you. Something. Yeah. Yeah, man, we, yeah. De we definitely have some yeah. questions. Um, who would like to go first? Awesome. Anybody? Any okay, I have Brace pointing at me. Everybody's shy. All right, so I'm going to go back to um, really kind of what you said last night at the meeting and what you sort of started with, uh, tonight, which was like telling on yourself, how important is that in recovery to be willing to get honest and tell on yourself and admit your, your mistakes and try and like better yourself and learn and grow through them? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, David. Um, it's pivotal. It's, a, it's, it's vital. Mm -hmm. um, the three indispensable principles are honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't get one without the other. In my experience, like if I'm not honest, I'm not open-minded. I'm not willing to do anything different. Yeah. But if I'm honest, then I can be open-minded and I can be willing to make, make changes. So for, so I had like, that experience where I used that one night at Brian's house after coming back to his house for the second time and finding that saturated cotton ball. Mm -hmm. And I got honest the next day. Now, of course, you know, Helen called me out on that shit because she saw right through it. Yeah. 
Um, but before you call me out on getting high or something, I'm going to deny it and deny it and deny it. Yep. But I had learned that that got me nowhere. Mm. Me lying to you about what I'm doing is not helping me. Absolutely. It's making my condition worse. Yep. Yeah, it's vital if I want to grow in the process and get better with self. Nice. All right. Eric, Carly, who's next? I'll go. All right, Eric. Um, so you're you're talking about kind of, you know, your relationship with um, your friend Brian and your sponsor Chris and kind of how, you know, naturally relationships change throughout our life, right? And, you know, we'll inevitably grow apart or come together and some relationships stay and some relationships, you know, fall apart. And, um, you know, it might not be anyone's fault, but it, it does happen. It's your fault, Eric. So, <laughs> well, I just don't call people, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's not like, is it my fault if I don't try? Right? I mean, like, is that my fault? Um, maybe someone should try harder, you know? But, uh, so, my question before David interrupted me so rudely was, um, you know, how do you look at that? like these relationships changing and you know what is your outlook on on that because like sometimes you can think like oh man these aren't my friends like why aren't they like hitting me up but like i don't know people get busy life changes like i'm in a different place now in my life than i was like five years ago oh yeah and like i hope that people can like respect that and understand that but sometimes people fucking can't and it's like dude like i have a full-time job i have like a wife i you know I'm like at a different point in my life right now than I was like when I could hang out every night. And um, yeah, I mean, like, how are you looking at kind of the evolution of your relationships as you progress in your recovery? Ooh, good question. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, too. Uh, it's kind of touchy. The My relationship, when you mentioned Brian, you know, uh, like I said, you know, he's I consider him my best friend, but we don't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for me. Um, he's a great guy. I think we're just on two different wavelengths and we're honestly, I think it, and maybe that's not even it. Maybe we're so much alike and mm -hmm. we just don't get along anymore. Or maybe it's because, I mean, we had so many dynamics to our relationship that it just, we could fix one dynamic and then, there's still an issue over here. Mm -hmm. Like he was my landlord, mm -hmm. my best friend. I was his, you know, recording engineer for five, six years. Um, so we had all these different dynamics and it just made things hard and we would try to mend things. And so honestly, that's a hard question to ask when I consider Brian, because I feel like there's a lot of things left on uh, you know, um, I think of the word unresolved, unresolved mm -hmm. that I feel like I need to either resolve with my higher power and my step work because we've tried to resolve it together and it just never clicked. And maybe that I don't want to say it's either one of our faults, Maybe it's just, it was time for us to just 
move on from one another. And that, and that's, if that's the case, like I have to be okay with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and to be quite honest with you, Eric, like it's not easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes, uh, and, and the way I like left too, like, um, from his house was, was very abrupt. Like I had planned on moving down here anyway, a month from the time that I did. Mm-hmm. It's just some other situations happened that forced me to move out a little bit quicker than I planned. And, you know, that's, I think, where a lot of the uneasiness stems from. But as far as, like, to answer your question as a whole, I do see where some of my relationships have gotten even closer with some of the people in the Northwest area that I'm not around anymore mm-hmm. um, or people that I'm developing relationships with now in this area. Uh, relationship with my brother is completely different than what I was using. You mm-hmm. know, um, I have a lot of respect for, for him and, you know, I have respect for myself now. So the better I get with myself, the better I friend I can be, or the better I can be in this relationship with, whoever it may be. Hmm. So as my recovery evolves, so do my relationships. And I think like certain people are in your life for a period of time when they need to be. And then, uh, you can grow apart. And like, while it's not easy, like sometimes it's just, I have to learn to be okay with that. And so that's where I'm at with it today. Nice. What you got, Carly? All right. So, I've had a very similar experience to you during like this pandemic where I just got real complacent in recovery and felt isolated and distant from everybody. Um, and not so much, I guess, worked on my recovery, but it was a good time for me for self-care and to do some things and prioritize myself. So um, what have you been like able to... Like plan a wedding. Yeah, like plan a wedding or just, you know... Big girl shit. Do me things. Yeah. Which I don't get time for. So what are some things that you have done during this pandemic to uh, maybe put yourself first or just stay vigilant in your recovery? Mm. Yeah, well, that's a great question too, Carly. I think, well, I know uh, that in regards to staying vigilant in my recovery. Uh, so I also do a recovery podcast and I talked a little bit about it with you guys last night. It's called a live podcast and I'm kind of doing some, going through some changes and rebranding with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be called a, a live recovery podcast when I start up the next season nice. and I've changed the logo and stuff like that. But you know, that really helped me at first because, meeting shut down but i was in the middle of this podcast season where i'm talking to other people in recovery and um you know that that was really helpful then season ended and uh one of the things i really like to do and the reason i don't do my podcast in the summer months is because i like i'm a very outdoorsy kind of guy so Mm -hmm. i have the opportunity to be outdoors i don't want to have a commitment to be doing something indoors. Yeah. Um, so, at, uh, just as, as an example, like today I went down to Severna Park area and went out on my kayak. I peeped out on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, man. So, and I do that a lot. I do that a lot. My girlfriend paddle boards and so it's, it's a hobby that we share. I like to, I like to fish. I like to snowboard. 
Um, of course, I didn't snowboard in the pandemic. Uh, space is not wintertime, but you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, just getting to know my daughter as she develops this awesome personality has been the one thing that has really held me together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's, she's amazing. Her name is Paisley. I love her to death. And, you know, watching her develop, she, you know, she's 17 months old. So she's walking. She started to run. She's learning words. Right now she speaks gibberish. But every now and again, I'll say a word and she'll repeat it. Like just, just last week, I think it was like I said, you want a piece of watermelon? And she was like, watermelon? And I was like, yes, watermelon, <laughs> you know? Like, yes, <laughs> I did that, you know? Like, you know, it's just, it, I don't know if you guys have kids, but it's just an amazing experience. So that has been, you know, super cool. I also have uh, my girlfriend's daughter. Uh, she's 11. Um, she, she's, you know, developing into a, uh, her own person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, real quick about her last last fall, we got a call. Like she had been like her eating habits had changed and stuff, and we were like she was always lethargic and stuff. So we got and she got tested for different stuff at the hospital, mm-hmm. and it was going to take several days to get the results back. And all of a sudden, we get a we get a phone call like three in the morning. And we're we're asleep, you know. And yeah. the hospital is like, you need to bring her into the hospital right away. We're like, what what's going on? And they're like, just bring her. Well, it turns out she's type one diabetic, and her blood sugar was extremely high, um, where it was essentially like syrup running through her veins, like molasses, you know. Good um, lord. So, yeah, um, hmm. and that's. That's been an, an adjustment. Um, yeah. And, you know, she, I've seen her come so far in the past uh, half a year. It's just been amazing. So just being there to support her, support my girlfriend, um, raise my daughter, you know, um, we're one happy family. That's for sure. I mean, that's awesome. Great. So, yeah, those are some of the things um, that I've done to help keep me sane through this <laughs> pandemic, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Eric, do you want to do a topic? Did you pick one out? Let me. I was going to do a Twitter question. Actually. Oh, well then let's do a Twitter question. Um, is, is it that time? Is it that for time? me to ask a Twitter question? Is, is it no, that it's time, not Eric? that time. No, it is that time to ask. A it's Twitter that time question. to go to the Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> Fucking angel. Aaron, they, they hate that, and, and and there's just the, the animosity just fuels me um, so, on so many really? levels. Oh, yeah, I, I love their disdain so, for it. So this question <laughs> is from um, C.D. Saboxen, and it is a topic. Ooh. So we've talked about this topic before, but I feel like it's probably time to talk about it again. Um, and it's harm reduction. So... Ooh. Uh, all right, Aaron. So the way this works is you'll discuss the topic first and then David, um, then Carly and then myself. Eric always gets to go last. Harm, harm reduction, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harm reduction. 
man, that's yeah. I caught it. Kind of caught me out of left field, you know. Um, Ooh, good. Because this whole podcast has been, you know, about myself, and now all of a sudden I have to talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a selfish addict, you know. We're gonna keep you on your toes, man. <laughs> yeah, you do. The harm reduction, man. I think it's important, you know, um, because as long as there's addicts, there's gonna be dirty needles, and there's gonna be disease. Mm-hmm. And there's gonna be just unhealthy stuff going on. So I think it's important that. There's like, I think there's like uh, needle exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, I never went to one, uh, but there's needle exchanges and there's um, there's these things that you can get now to like test your drugs and make sure you know what you're putting in your body before you do, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Now, in my addiction, would I have ever t- taken the time to test my drugs? Hell no. Mm-hmm. But for like that can save lives. Yeah, I think if people knew more about it and it was more readily available, I think that it would save lives. And Eric's the type of the nerd that would have tested it. his drugs. But fuck yeah! If I'm getting, <laughs> yeah. If I'm getting like an e yeah, pill, like I'm definitely test, test, testing that shit. Like you know, <laughs> fuck yeah! You yeah. sit there with beakers and test tubes and find out the exact molecular structure of what he's putting into his body. It's always good oh to go in educated. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's important to know, mm-hmm. especially with like fentanyl and uh, yeah, fe- they're putting fentanyl and all kinds of crap weed. I hear and weed now. Yeah, it's just wild. So harm reduction is super important. That's really all I have. I want to hear what you guys have to say about harm reduction. All right. Um. So it's me, Carly, and Eric. All right. So. Uh, I I agree. Harm reduction is is huge, and n- not just needle exchange programs. Um, I didn't know about those like drug testing kits. That's pretty cool, actually. Like I know I made like a joke about mm-hmm. it, but that's actually really um, a very good thing. Um, and I it, in my in my recovery process, it really evolved a lot from being very staunch like the na abstinence type way um and that's just not everybody's story and it's not everybody's type of recovery so i believe that a harm reduction a harm reduction story is very much a success story in recovery so if somebody is has been shooting heroin for x amount of years and then they switch over to Suboxone for X amount of years and their life gets better. Um, I, I think that's a win. Like Suboxone isn't going to kill you. Like it, it, if, if that's their level of recovery that they can attain, then that's that's an absolute win. I, I, I don't think it's responsible anymore for fellowships to really shun those people or say they can't work steps because it's not like and i understand that's like the na fellowship like that's their stance is like abstinence from all drugs but like sometimes you really have to meet people where they're at and um if if working steps with somebody who's on suboxone or methadone or subutex or whatever um after so many years like of doing it maybe that maybe that willingness on the 
fellowship end to meet them where they're at finally is like the final push for them to like get off their maintenance. Um, then I, I think it's it, it's more important to do what's right for the addict than necessarily do what's right for the fellowship. Like if like saving somebody's life, in my opinion, is more important than following the quote unquote rules of Narcotics Anonymous. Like, fuck that. Like if somebody came up to me and they're on Suboxone the and they're like, I want to work steps. I'm like, cool, let's work some fucking steps because this shit's going to save your life. Uh Suboxone's not going to kill you, and really, like telling telling people on maintenance that they're they're not clean or they're not allowed to work steps or they're not allowed to have jobs. It that can fucking kill people, and I disagree with it entirely. So that that's that's my stance on harm reduction. I would have to I like agree. That. I was actually on Suboxone for years. Yeah, so I had that experience coming into NA with you know. Yeah, we have, we know a lot of people who have. Yeah, and it can fucking kill people, and I'm sick of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I don't know if it was the fact that when I came into NA, the network that I became a part of was very open-minded to that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But that never really, like, crossed my mind, like, oh, NA's against it, like, so I'm against it type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And even before coming into recovery, I worked at a maintenance clinic. So just being able to see people come in on a daily basis and then be able to go function and go to a job and have a life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, regard, I mean, yes, they were depending on something, but if it was something that was going to help them and work for them, then I think it's I think it's totally acceptable. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And mm-hmm. if you have a desire to make a change and. I, th- I think that any way that you can possibly do that is is the right way to go. It's mm-hmm. going to be different for everybody, but yeah. like if it doesn't work for me, I can't go to somebody else and say, you're doing it wrong. Like That's not the way yeah. that this is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. So I think if they're trying, then right. you've got to be there to be supportive. Yeah, absolutely. And last, but, last but not least, so, the Wizard of Oz. So... Uh, First and foremost, if you're using intravenous drugs, use clean needles. Always. Nice. Always. Um, It's important. Yeah. That's how people get, like, hep C and get HIV. And, um, you know, I mean, you fuck up sometimes because the drug overrides, like, you know. How much you give a shit. How much you care. Yeah. Uh, But. I'm so glad you said that, Eric. Safe needles. Um. Like, and needle exchanges are... Oh, that's all I have. He's a genius. You know, I mean, they're, they're necessary because, like, as much as people want to pretend that, you know, drug, like, the war on drugs <laughs> can be won, like, that's stupid. Um, so, <laughs> like, there's always going to be a way to get high, and, like, people are going to just start, like, you know, if, like, let's say all the heroin was gone... That's how Crocodile gets created, right? <laughs> Basalt. Um, but, like, honestly... You know, and this is probably why we lose listeners sometimes, but like NA and AA are not the only way. Um, there's tons and tons of programs that deal with like moderation and like management. And like, yes, I know, like, if you're in a fellowship, like, thinking about, you know, recovery in a term that doesn't like, you know, subscribe to abstinence 
doesn't mean recovery for you. But again, that doesn't fucking matter because it's not for you. It's for Mm -hmm. someone else who that works for. And I think understanding that harm reduction, you know, can help people. And just because it didn't help you doesn't mean it doesn't like that. It's just fucking like, you know, no one can fucking do it. It's not. Um, It's invalid. Yeah. Like, first off, fuck you. And um, secondly, like, I don't. I don't know, maybe, you know, I love that's so much, Eric. Well, that's why people die. It's yeah. like, you know, no, it's I like, agree. oh, you're on Suboxone, you know, you really shouldn't read who's an addict. And it's like, what? Like, shut the fuck up and yeah. let him read the fucking blue piece of paper in the front row. Mm-hmm. Like, what, you know, why does it matter? You know, it's like, well, you know, you're really not going to get the steps. It's like, dude, there, this is you like don't a, know that. Exactly. This is a fucking third grade reading level, like in the basic text. Like they're going to get it. Like, you know, it's it's not like they can't comprehend the fucking words on the page. Like you fucking hierarchical, like motherfucker. Like, it, no, they'll understand what that means and like comprehend it. Like start working on yourself even if you're moderating i love to just watch him go and you know maintaining like i don't know do do what works for you mm-hmm. so like if harm reduction's your way like don't let some you know like some na or aa nazi tell you that like you know you're gonna fucking die tomorrow if you don't you know pick up the big book and start preaching the good word <laughs> Right. I have to say, I think that, um, you know, practicing that spiritual principle of open mindedness mm-hmm. really needs to apply when it comes to what you're talking about. What, you know, you can't read that piece of literature because you're on Suboxone. What? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Practice some open mindedness, you know, because mm-hmm. I've met some people in the program. Uh, that feel that way. And I think, you know, when Narcotics Anonymous was established and these other 12-step fellowships, um, there wasn't Suboxone. There wasn't Vivitrol. There wasn't these different things to help Mm -hmm. uh, uh, someone stop using heroin, you know, or whatever, uh, alcohol, you know. Yeah. Now that we have these... uh, things at our disposal at our disposal as addicts um, like we have to like change and evolve with we have to evolve the program as life evolves and changes Mm -hmm. that's just my opinion absolutely but yeah i also think that sometimes opinions can kill people too you know so that totally you know it's touchy yeah so so anybody who's listening out there like we're just four normal people with four very different recoveries. Like we are not the be all end all of recovery. So like, don't, don't take what we say as gospel, like do your own research in whatever Avenue of recovery that you feel is best for you. And if you agree with us, awesome. If you don't, that's okay too. Write us a, write us a comment, write us a review and, and we'll discuss it with you like normal human beings and not get mad about it because we're all going to have different points of view and that's okay. And it's actually great in recovery because the more points of view you have, the more tools you have in your toolbox to, to fight this disease and, and come out with a victory. So, yeah, I think, uh, that's all we got. Yeah. So we would like to thank our guest, Aaron, for joining us this evening. Woo! 
guys for having me. All right, Aaron. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, let our listeners yeah. know all the places they can find you. Any and like any links or whatever. What you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you're a YouTuber, you can youtubecom slash recovery. It's just a l i v e recovery. Uh, same thing with Facebook, facebook.com slash recovery. You can also find some of my music on all the streaming services. It's going to be under A period live recovery. Or, I'm sorry, no, it's going to be under, I apologize, scratch that. If you're looking for me on Spotify, Tidal, Deezer, Pandora, any of those, Amazon Music, Apple Music, it's going to be A period live music. Not recovery music, a live music. So uh, I have four songs up there now. They're all relating to my recovery or addiction or experience that I had in my process. So um, if you get a chance, the one I recommend is because I talked about it tonight is the one about that overdose called Never Forget. Very, uh, very powerful song. Um, yeah. And I just encourage anyone, you know, um, I'm so glad you said what you said at the end there, David, uh, about, you know, what works for you works for you. That being said, uh, like, don't compare yourself out. Uh, listen to the similarities, not the differences. And just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah, find your own avenue. I just wanted to, like, put emphasis on that because it's important. So thank you guys for having me. Yeah, man. All right. Well, here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. Now I'm going to turn it over to Eric with our digital basket. That's that's better. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, we're, I guess getting, that's, we're getting there. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're maybe, it. maybe information on how to join the home group. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Next there time. There we go. We got it. So, um, <laughs> you know, here at Podcast Recovery, we are fully self-supporting. So please, in the description below, uh, consider joining the home group um, and becoming a part of our Patreon page. Or if you just want to throw an extra dollar or two into the digital basket, you can um, look at the links below for Venmo and PayPal. And then also you can find all our social media at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, for more information about Carly, Eric, Ali, and myself, go to podcastrecovery.com. You can check us out on all the all the, the places, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you can find a podcast, we're there. Uh, but most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean. Bingo. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>